Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an Oklahoma football podcast. We're about to start transitioning to the rest of it, but right now it's football hard right in the center of the plate, uh, the hoop, whatever you want to say. But welcome to joining the show. Thank you guys so much for supporting us uh, via your listening. If you haven't had a chance, please, please rate and review on anything you listen to. That'd be great. Uh, and as you heard, top the show, Vanessa House, please support them as much as you can with your patronage. That would be fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, we do have some breaking news. We record on a Tuesday. Uh, everyone's probably already heard it by the time this comes out, but the Oklahoma Sooners have indeed promoted um, Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley to co-offensive coordinators. Uh, this, uh, I'm assuming the offensive coordinator search was fast and wide and, and, and completely in depth. They found the call from inside the house with Seth and Joe John uh, being the answers to uh, talk to me for a little bit today. Uh, we only have Brady. Alan will be joining us midway through the podcast and Matt is uh, tied up with some thunder responsibilities. You know, the day job working at the, at the on the radio. The ra- He's a radio man. But Brady, how's it going? How are you surviving right now knowing Oklahoma has an offensive coordinator? It, it's wild news. Pandemonium in no, the streets. Not just one, but two. That's wild. Like- I didn't even, is that even legal? Is this a Michigan uh, situation? Now, why can't we have three? I mean, I know Bill Beanbow has lost all leverage he could possibly have professionally by saying publicly and privately that he wants to retire in Oklahoma, like regardless of where his career takes him. So uh, why, why can't he be the, the 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 triumvirate? Why can't we have a triumvirate of offensive coordinators? Mm-hmm. But no, this will be the first time that OU's had co-OC since um, the Fiesta Bowl of 2010. Um uh, against remind UConn. me how that worked out oh it's UConn okay yeah. yeah it was UConn that was uh your boy Landry Jones had a good game although he did throw a pick six so he can't can't win them all but um from that point on so that would have been like what January 1st 2011 until both Jay Norvell and Josh Eiple were dismissed at the end of the 2014 season so you're, you're talking about the 2011 2012 2013 2014 seasons which were um, successful offensively, there were a lot of great offensive numbers during those years, but there's no doubt that um, OU kind of lost its way with its identity um, with two cooks in the kitchen. Now, how much of that was the fact that there were two cooks in the kitchen? How much of that was perhaps Norvell's way of running an offense and Josh Heupel's way of running an offense just didn't really mesh together? Um, basically trying to squash any belief that two OCs cannot work 
Or how much of it was the fact that Bob had more influence on the offense's actual offensive output than previously thought? So, I mean, there's a lot of questions, but now you're, I mean, we're looking forward to um, probably the Alamo Bowl, unless some funky things happen in the next few weeks, um, get to a New Year's Six Bowl, but you're probably looking forward to a Alamo Bowl with uh, Seth Luttrell, Jeff, um, I almost said Jeff Levy, Seth, Seth Luttrell and Jeff Levy's best friend, former Sooner Joe John Finley, calling plays, scheming things up. So it's going to be interesting to see how far we deviate from the offense that we've known over the last two years, Peyton, or how uh, much it progresses or evolves into something slightly different. Yeah, I guess, I guess the biggest uh, question that we may have right now, and I don't know if this has been answered quite yet because I've just been getting prepared for the podcast. Uh, who's the play caller? I know we're both co at this point in time, but who's calling plays? My assumption is that Seth, he's done it before. He's been a head coach who did it as a head coach. You know, he's implemented offenses. He's been uh, you know, a singular offensive coordinator at multiple stops. So uh, that makes me think it'll be him and that Joe John is more of an architect type guy for this to kind of help say, hey, because I mean, he was attached to Levy for a while. So he went to these places with them, was under, I believe, UCF at the same time, Ole Miss. Uh, he was so at A&M for a second. A&M, that's right. Or so A&M in Missouri, I believe. So he knows how this stuff works. He's been there. He understands the veer. He understands the veer and shoot, the bear raid. So he's going to have a, um, my assumption is, this is a nice pay grade, pay grade bump for him. Congratulations. Everyone should make more money if they can. Good job for using your leverage. Uh, but his job will be to help Seth implement this system. So a lot of schools do this, right? So um, look at Oklahoma State. When you hire a um, uh, an offense coordinator, when Mike Gundy, excuse me, when Mike Gundy hires an offensive coordinator, he's basically then teaching them the Oklahoma State offense <laughs> and saying, "This is the offense you're running," you know, and that's uh, you know uh, comes from a Dana at that point in time. Now it's evolved over time, but it's how it's kind of worked. Uh, same thing for Bama uh, when they hired a. Uh, Tommy, Tommy Reese, after they, you know, fought long and hard to get a, to get Levy, they kind of said, okay, now we're going to teach you the Alabama system. You're going to be running this system. This is how it works. Uh, my assumption is that with Seth coming in, there may have been a little bit of saying, okay, let's do this. Let's strengthen everything across the board. Joe John's going to help with the architecture and like foundation building stuff, making sure that the practices are run how they need to be run on offense to make, carry this stuff out. And Seth is going to maintain the uh, play callings, you know, and uh, scheme design uh, from that perspective. Um, if that's the case, that's interesting. I want to see how the individual uh, responsibilities break down just beyond play calling, uh, because um, they're both fullbacks, tight end, H-back types. Uh, who's, the, who's the QB coach? Does OU have to go get a separate QB coach? Does this allow them to do that? I mean, is there a spot on the – I don't know if there's another spot on the coaching staff uh, available to do that. Does Joe John Finley become quarterback coach? Uh, he was a passing game coordinator before in the past, uh, so maybe that's something he can lean on to. But that's some a couple of questions I kind of have just like schematically uh, – how this is going to work on a day-to-day in the offseason uh, during the week, not necessarily on game days. You, what, what are your thoughts? Because like immediately just with, like, I think we both kind of understand how Seth operates. He's, and I think he will uh, operate really well off the offensive line. It's already been said and, you know, leaked out. Uh, uh, we'll be both saying how this is going to be a very good marriage for the offense and the offensive line moving forward. Uh, 
take of that what you will <laughs> speaking to how Bill Biedenbow and Jeff Levy may have operated together and how that offensive line was not being put in situations in which it could succeed. Uh, basically, look, anytime it, it uh, blocked power versus anytime it had to block outside zone. Uh, but what are your kind of thoughts of the co co idea? I mean, do you think this is a do you think this is a house divided or do you think this is a cool way of covering uh, covering weaknesses? I mean, for those of us that want to divorce Oklahoma from the Jeff Levy offense, the bear aid, or specifically the tempo, because that was kind of my question on the no cap recap, the big hour, 45 minutes podcast we recorded on Sunday um, for our patrons. You can find that on patreon.com slash through the keyhole. And we did record that podcast. I think about an hour and 10 minutes into it is exactly when the report came out that Mississippi state hired Jeff Levy. But um, I asked the question on there, is it more of a raid that I want to get, o- get us get OU away from, or is it the, um, the tempo, but as much as I would want us to get away from either or, or specifically that tempo Jackson Arnold's going to be the quarterback and he came to Oklahoma to run Jeff Levy's offense. So I might want something, but pragmatically, OU's got a quarterback that came here to run specifically that type of offense. So I think it behooves Oklahoma to, uh, of course, hopefully not go full in on what Jeff Levy tried to do and just try to copy and paste it with two new guys. Um, But they still need to do something that plays to Jackson Arnold's strengths. And we don't know what type of quarterback he is. We don't know um, what his strengths and his weaknesses are. So I think we just need to err on the side of, okay, Joe John Finley's experience with that offense, his experience with Jeff Levy, that's going to be very beneficial in this transition, especially with Jackson Arnold um, coming uh, to become QB1 next year. But also, I mean, <laughs> there's always the uh, little caveat that, oh, you also needs Devin Mitchell next year. And so Joe John Finley's presence on the uh, coaching staff is still pretty important. But I mean, I mean, you bre- you asked the, the best quote, the million dollar question. Um what responsibility is going where, but I think the assumption you make is, is safe to make. Um, Oklahoma's just, they're extending their, um, to me, it just seems like something where they're extending their, uh, their opportunities for the future, because ideally Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley work well. And if that does happen two years from now, you're probably looking to promote Joe John Finley to the full-time sole offensive coordinator because Seth Luttrell has already taken a job somewhere else. That's always kind of the idea. It sucks to lose coaches, but at OU, if you're successful, if you want to be successful, you're going to have to say goodbye to some coaches. So OU, it seems like that could be something that they're doing. And then there was that report. um, I can't remember who said, uh, put it out there, but there was that report that OU interviewed the, uh, or at least reached out to the UNLV um, OC was, is it Brendan Marion? And I even, my initial thought with that was just, I don't know if they're going to essentially hire this guy, but they're no doubt trying to see like what the lay of the land is in the event that, Hey, that this next promotion being Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley, if we knock it out of the park, if we knock it out of the park, we're going to be needing somebody else down the road and we can't just keep hiring from within that. That sounds great in theory. If you're successful, why not hire from within? But it's always important to go outside to try to continue to progress and try to continue to evolve because college football is an ever evolving game. So while people might have gotten their hopes up for external offensive coordinators that have been, that are out there, some names that are out there, 
I, I, I'm pretty sure Brent Venables has a plan for the uh, the best case scenario plan down the or idea down the road five years from now, assuming that Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley work out and find success and then find jobs of their own moving forward. So it's it was the you know, to me, this is like a miniature version of OU hiring Brent Venables, Peyton, where it's like a duh hire. It's not going to be splashy. It's not going to be sexy. It's not going to get an A plus grade on like the on th- whatever podcast, the cover three podcast, whatever that thing was called, where they really loved Notre Dame's head coach and just kind of shit on Brent getting hired by OU. It's not going to do anything like that, but it's it's the right hire. It's the only hire, uh, essentially, that OU could make in this situation. It's also a very Oklahoma hire. You know, uh, it, this is how Oklahoma operates as a program. Uh, just historically, I mean, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, being the, the uh, you know, the historian of Oklahoma, uh, all things Oklahoma football, but, you know, Oklahoma has a tendency of, of growing people and allowing these staffs to kind of uh, uh, matriculate to themselves up to higher positions, higher levels. It's one of the reasons why, in my opinion, Oklahoma has been such a steady program for 100 plus years, you know, it has allowed itself to grow naturally. Uh, very rarely do they come out and kind of grab somebody and kind of shakes a system. Now, obviously, uh, Bob did that with Riley, bringing him in, you know, an outsider, even though he was still very much inside the the family, the, the Leach family, something that Bob was uh, familiar with and had helped, uh, you know, establish himself by giving Mike Leach the offensive coordinator position uh, for the one year. Uh, but it, it is interesting to see uh, how this is going to go. And they're two former Oklahoma guys. You know, this is something you can tell maybe that uh, Brent is really, really trying to completely copy and paste that Clemson model of saying, not only are we going to, you know, hire and promote within and to allow stability from, from that perspective, but we're going to hire and promote within guys who played at Oklahoma, guys who know what the Oklahoma program is about uh, and, and things of that nature. So we have that ability. Um and then all those guys, you know, Seth and, you know, Joe John Finley, they can sit there and say, hey, um, we're going to um, keep people, you know, keep the players, you know, routine them in there, get get them to stay one extra year because they know what it means to be at Oklahoma. And that's something that's important. You know, it's, it, it's, it is just really, really important, in my opinion, when it comes to that perspective. Uh, and that's something I've been saying lately when talking to people about why Oklahoma is a different type of program than at Texas A&M. Like just something that you know, Josh Pate it idiotically said it was a better job. Uh, Texas A&M wants to be good. You know, they have boosters. They want to be on the golf course. They want to say, hey, they're their Texas friend. We hired Elko and we're going to be back at the top. But Oklahoma needs to be good. There is no option for it not to be good, if that makes sense. Like if Oklahoma football was not good, things would not work out. <laughs> there is no bounce back. I mean, and I think that's some of the reason why these national media types, especially like when Riley left, it was, well, they're done. Like they have no bounce back. They have no, that, but the idea is, yeah, Oklahoma may be on the tight tightrope wire, but it's very, very heavily leaned to them succeeding because they just have to, there's no other option. And I mean, you're right. I mean, that's always kind of the good thing about Oklahoma's program historically, and especially like when that, conversation comes up every other off season of like rank the jobs and rank the programs. And we have to sit here and constantly remind people that guys, 
OU doesn't fail. And when they do, they quickly recognize it and pivot and get back to succeeding. They don't fuck around for a long time. I know people say the 90s, like it was the dark ages, but the 90s was just five bad years. They went through two two coaches in that time. So as, as soon as they realize, they're like, yeah, we can't do this any longer. So let's move forward. But one more quick thing on Joe John Finley for people who aren't as familiar with his background, at least professionally. Um, his time at Missouri, um, when he was a, what was he? He was the 2016 to 2018, the tight ends coach at Missouri. That was during Josh Heupel's reign as their offensive coordinator. So Joe has some experience with Josh Heupel's uh, version of the raid. Um, of course, his background with Jeff Levy goes back to his uh, being a quality control analyst um, at Baylor. Uh, that's where he met Jeff Levy. Um, and the only really bad thing on his uh, resume professionally is that he worked under Jimbo Fisher in 2019 with Texas A&M before moving on to Ole Miss, uh, joining back with Jeff Levy. So, again, I, I see Joe John being a, I, I don't want to say plan B for the future, um, in an insulting way, but if OU knocks it out of the park offensively for the ne next two years, Seth is going to get a head coaching job again. And then you can just slide Joe John back into that primary role as the OC. But really his, like other than Devin Mitchell, uh, the recruit, uh, the tight end recruit, other than that benefit, he just kind of helps bridge whatever Seth wants to do, like whatever his like primary tendencies are, Joe John's presence will help bridge the current roster, the current offense, Jackson Arnold in particular, into those tendencies by way of having more familiarity with that Levy system, with the Hypel system. So it makes sense. It's not splashy. It it's not going to excite people that haven't seen this coming. You know, like we've all seen this coming since Seth became an analyst um, in the offseason. Uh, so, but to that. Oh, you just did what it was supposed to do. So we should just expect success because we are OU and that's what OU does. Uh, late breaking joining the podcast. Uh, blatant homerism. Alan Kenny is here. Uh, Alan, we, you just heard us kind of wrap up our thoughts on the, uh, uh, the co-offensive coordinator hires that uh, promotions Oklahoma has made under Brent Venables. Uh, if you are a patron to uh, our, our uh, Patreon, so patreon.com slash through the keyhole, you would have read uh, or potentially spe speed read an article uh, from uh, Alan talking about what his thoughts on for the off offensive coordinator search, um, basically right before those uh, hires were announced. Yeah, I but mean, now that we know it's minutes, Seth, yeah, <laughs> yes. But now that we know it's Seth and Joe John, uh, how does that equal up to kind of your thoughts on that process uh, that you kind of wrote about, and, and what do you what do you think of these two hires just at the moment? You know, I know you have to look at these things a couple of years down the line, but how do you think about them in the moment? Yeah. You know, the last time I believe that, OU had co-offensive coordinators would have been like two, the 2011 ish period. If I, if I remember correctly, when um, Kevin Wilson left uh, for um, a head coaching job at Indiana and uh, Bob Stoops made Josh Heupel and Jay Norvell co-offensive coordinators. Now, in reality, what was going on there was that, you know, Hypo was the play caller. And so, you know, you can give the, them the, the co, you know, tags there. But I think, you know, this, my assumption is this is going to be Latrell's offense to run with um, Levy, you know, or pardon me, Levy, oh, he's gone. Uh, Finley, uh, you know, as the, as the, I did the same guy. thing. 
I did the same thing, Alan. We were t- like talking about this. I called Joe John Finley Jeff Lepie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like I think, well, I think too, though. My guess is that Joe John had some uh, leverage here also to kind of get a, a fancier title because I'm assuming uh, that was Jeff Levy's pick or hope, hopeful pick to um, be his offensive coordinator at Mississippi State. But that's just me speculating. I don't have any inside info there. Um, but no, I think it'll I think it'll work out pretty well. Uh, you know, I have no idea if Latrell is like the absolute a one best candidate possible but i think that you know the idea of maintaining continuity clearly there's something about what ou's doing offensively scheme wise that brent venables likes latrell has a lot of experience and and has done very well in the past um you know it it all it all makes sense um you know what i kind of what I wrote about today was, you know, I really feel like at the end of the day, you could probably give Levy like a B plus as an offensive coordinator. And so, you know, if you think about it, that that leaves a lot of room to hire somebody worse, right? I mean, you're talking about like 90% of the uh, coordinators out there, something like that being worse, right? But uh, with Latrell, I think that they probably at least, you know, match that. In our, and I have a feeling will be a little bit smarter when it comes to a lot of the situational stuff, just based on his experience as a head coach. And if, if it's something that, you know, I think Brady's alluded to, and again, without any insider access here, uh, if Brent is truly doing the, like, I am here to fix the defense, my bread and butter's made on the defense. I was the head hot shot defensive coordinator for a decade at Clemson. You know, this is my, I am happy over here. Now I'm going to oversee the entirety of the football program, but my foot is going to be very, very heavily planted on the offensive side. I need somebody who's going to be more structured and more controlling over the offense. Having a former head coach there is nice. Yeah. <laughs> he knows how to do it. He's run offenses. He's run programs. So that's, that is very, very helpful just to have the, um, you know, just the brain capacity of the entire staff to kind of kind of lift itself up from that perspective. Because, um, yeah, Joe John by himself, let, let's say there's a different thing where Seth wasn't here and it's just Joe John because he used that Mississippi as a as Mississippi, Mississippi State stuff as a leverage. That would just be completely and utterly disastrous. So I'm assuming this is the only way Joe John could have gotten it. Uh, yeah. Pairing him with Seth, because as Brady mentioned, they did reach out to UNLV. Um, uh, offensive coordinator, uh, you know, there's reports of that, um, looking at some of that stuff. So that is kind of interesting to see, hey, they were looking at some people who do not play or do not call this bear raid, veer shoot, you know, hurry up tempo style offense. <laughs> uh, so that yeah. part is interesting to kind of see from that perspective. But, right. But isn't that kind of like that to me, that just seems far for like, if if you're you kind of have head coach, yeah. you have to, I, I cannot envision a scenario where Joe Castiglione would be like, you didn't talk to anybody outside, you know, the, this building. Like, I just, I don't think that would fly with him. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Uh, man, I want to make a very, very vague uh, reference with not enough information, but I can't. There was a head coaching position that was open in college football, and they hired a firm, and the head of the firm was looking, and he decided he was the guy. <laughs> and, uh, 
I cannot remember what coach it well, was, but anyway, hired didn't himself some, as the head coach. <laughs> didn't some program hire a firm to do research on what it means or what you need in order to win a national championship? And it was like a great offense, a great defense, a good quarterback, a great culture. Oh, it's A&M. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, it was, that is, it was yes. A&M? Yes. Were they like just recently? Okay. Yeah. Did you? So we, no, it was literally yesterday that <laughs> Ross Bjork did that. Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, what, what a know? load of bullshit! Like, uh, I mean, can you believe that? Like, oh, you need a championship culture. What the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Let's let's go ahead and do that. Let's go ahead and transition there. Oklahoma has hired its offensive coordinators uh, for the future. Uh, what that means for Oklahoma, we will have no idea. But uh, we'll have a bowl game to see what maybe if they've implemented something. If there's some wrinkles there, but my assumption is any sort of major stuff's not going to happen until the offseason. So let's go into the fun, juicy stuff. Texas A&M has hired Mike Elko, formerly of Duke, but formerly of Texas A&M before that, and then formerly of Notre Dame before that uh, as their new head coach. Uh, everyone's very, very excited for this. Um, after some midnight, uh, almost midnight shenanigans with Mark Stoops. Um, and then it's come out that, yeah, you got to have an explosive, powerful offense, a championship culture, everything along the line here. Alan, you and I have kind of talked back and forth on this stuff. Does this hire matter for Texas A&M or is Texas A&M just Texas A&M? Man, I, I don't know. Um, it, Elko, it strikes me as a very good coach. This is a very not flashy, meat and potatoes football guy. Um, you know, from what I understand, you know, he was actually fairly popular, like in Texas recruiting circles when he was at A and M. Um, you know, and and uh, I, I guess you know part of the part of the weird deal to me, I think, though, is like if Mark Stoops wasn't good enough for you, why is Mike Elko? You know, that's the part of that that is strange to me. I mean, yeah, he's got you can say, oh, he's got familiarity with you know a and m but like honestly that that trumps like having it's because longer head coaching experience I don't know. it's because he's not as long in the tooth as mark i would assume like mark mark for all we know elko could be in, like one of the best coaches of all time you know because like, he's only been at duke for what two years two, two and a half years, years? Yeah. yeah if he had been at duke for six seven years and let's just say he was a seven eight win coach and he won nine win. He had nine win seasons like once or twice. So essentially like what he's, what he was projected as given what he's done thus far at Duke. Um, A&M fans wouldn't have been happy with it either. Like he, yeah, he just, he's not given anybody the, he's not given anybody any evidence to be um, amazing or bad. Mark Stoops has given evidence to being a very solid head coach, even though, it's very obvious, like when you look at his season by season accomplishments paired with his recruiting class ranking uh, right next to it for that season, it's like, huh, he's pretty damn good at Kentucky when he's getting like a top 30, top 40 recruiting class. Now, what happens if he goes to A&M and gets a top 10 recruiting class like that? That to me is where this is going to be silly. Now, again, Elko could be very good for all I know. Elko was good at Duke, but that's Duke. And I'm when I watch Duke football to two times a year if that mm. i'm watching it with the stand the low standard that i have for duke football and so when he goes to a and i'm gonna have a little bit of a higher standard not that much higher but slightly but you know higher anyway so i mean it, it's just silly and 
if AM fans are smart, then they they vetoed the uh they vetoed the Mark Stoops hire because they didn't want Mike Stoops on their staff. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. No, no, I think that like part of it too, my my understanding, this is based on you know what I've gleaned from other podcasts out there, is that when you get down to it, the financial commitment they had to make to Mark Stoops based on what he was, you know, getting at Kentucky to, you know, make it economically rational form you're essentially like locking yourself into another Jimbo Fisher like contract uh and Elko comes much cheaper if you if you saw the sheet that he signed uh much cheaper than that yeah I mean something not something to look at if you're trying to like split hairs um between the two um you know Mark Soups has been at uh, Kentucky for eight years now and has a top 40 offense exactly one time uh you know and and you're looking at Texas A&M you're thinking well the issue was that our offense sucked for, you know for so long like why why would that be helpful from that perspective and Elko while being a defensive guy uh, has at least fielded serviceable offenses uh now part of that is he totally completely locked into a potential NFL quarterback. <laughs> uh, you know, he did not recruit that kid. He did not have any say in that kid. He kept him there once he got there. Uh, but you know, how often is a Duke quarterback, you know, the hot thing on the, on the portal uh, market at that point in time. Playing uh, so, by far the worst power five conference. Yeah. But you know, yeah, sure. Yeah. This year is how things kind of shook out to a certain degree. Um, but it is interesting to see how it's just, it's just leverage at that point in time. But I think you are right, and I think people are correct where they seem like the same coach, a heavy defensive-minded person who seems like they're going to be able to instill structure and, you know, the Texas A&M stability and which what they want it to be, which is we've got our cowboy boots on and we've got bloodied noses and we're standing up to, to Texas when in reality, you know, they're oil cowboys and, you know, the boots have never touched dirt <laughs> in their lives. Uh, <laughs> but it's from that perspective too, where it's, well, Mark was already making $9 million, is making $9 million a year at Kentucky. Uh, you'd have to pay him, I'm assuming a pay raise, which would then mean you are paying him the exact same amount as Jimbo uh, when you can just pay, uh, you know, uh, Elko at a discounted price. Now, what I think is really strange is that uh, Elko was making 3.5, I believe at Duke. I assume they would pay him six. And now he's got seven. It's like, well, if you're saying the financials it's not there you're only two again i'm this is other people's money <laughs> but you're only yeah. two million dollars off or whatever you know it's like it seems like you how could many, have brought how many in. years how many years did uh elko get that's that's one thing uh, like five no no jeff levy got five um yeah i'm not entirely for sure i'm googling uh, it great podcasting yes no i, think, I know uh, i know i mean i think that's part of the thing with with uh stoops at kentucky those I, I think you know he, I think that that built-in escalator thing, you know, where he when he gets a raise every time he wins seven games. I think they drop that, but he has a very long, you know, long uh, in terms of years. Uh, he has a lot there, so. Yeah, and it's also something like you know, it's it's going to be a hard cap at seven million. <laughs> I know there's the incentives and all that type of stuff, but that's a seven million dollar contract for anything. And uh, so Elko got six years uh, at seven million. So that's it's that's a pretty elongated contract at that point in time. Uh, now, for Mark though, Kentucky's uh, this is just me. Kentucky seems like a great spot. You're getting paid nine million dollars a year. If you win seven games, 
you get an automatic one-year extension. <laughs> Why would you ever leave that job? <laughs> Unless you just want more professionally. You know, like, I want to win, quote unquote, it's, when you're winning the same games Texas A&M's winning. I, I, I get what you're saying. That's absolutely right. I would just assume that, okay, Mark, Mark is better than Sam Pittman as a head coach. Like Mark, yes, did, for sure. Yeah. Mark, Mark probably belongs like given, I mean, okay. He took over in 2013. They were two and 10. Then he went five and seven, five and seven, seven wins, seven wins. Then he won 10 games, 10 and three in 2018. They won the citrus bowl, then eight wins, then five wins in the COVID year. Uh, 2021, they went 10 and three and they won the citrus bowl again. Last year, they were seven and six lost their bowl game. And this year they're seven and five with a chance to go eight and five. I mean, he belongs at the, at the program level of like an Arkansas or um, like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Mark belongs somewhere like Florida or uh, Tennessee. Um, but A&M is kind of in that category of program where I could see like, okay, yeah, like he could go there. He's proven and he would have success there even at A&M. But I mean, Kentucky is, I don't want to say he's outstayed as welcome because they like him there. I, I would assume it's just, he's capped out so much because there is only so much talent you can bring to Kentucky. And I'd like, I would have liked to have seen him uh, at A&M because again, I wanted to beat the shit out of his brother at some point. That would be nice. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't look like it might happen anytime soon, but um, no, I mean, again, if Elko had been at Duke for six years, seven years, and won, you know, six wins, seven wins, eight wins, nine wins, blah, 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 like that type of coach, no one would really be, give a shit about it with this hire, and they might have hired somebody else. The Spirit Shop has been Norman's source for wine, beer, and spirits since 1976. We feature the biggest selection and best prices in town, thousands of different wines, beers, spirits, and more. Live in Norman, we deliver all over town, every day, usually in under an hour. Let us bring the party to you. Go to our website and order online at www.thespiritshop.org or give us a call at 405-321-3100. That's 405-321-3100. In from out of town for the game, come see us at the corner of Main and Barry, just two miles east of I-35. Take the Main Street exit and browse thousands of fine wines and hard-to-find bourbon in store. Yeah, I mean, the, the Mark stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, eight years at Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky, it was a... That's the kind of stuff where, to me, where it's a little bit interesting between uh, Elko and and, and uh, Mark stuff is Kentucky, for, for what it was, and people say, well, Duke as well, these are both bottom-of-the-barrel <laughs> football programs to, to a certain degree. Uh, you know, obviously, basketball schools, both of them, you know, historically and, you know, regardless like 99% of it and Marcus kind of flipped that to the point in time where he's having public you know clashes with the uh you know with Cal over funding yeah. and, and you know athletic stuff I mean Marcus slowly winning that battle people are getting it's the SEC basketball's cool whatever <laughs> but it's football and he's turning that around and that type of job he's done is Herculean uh in, in my opinion yeah. yeah but let's 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 be real, though. I mean, like, he's not ever going to win that battle. Like, it's Kentucky basketball. No, yeah, it's Kentucky I mean? basketball so forever. Like, yeah, like, and you know, he and Cal have had a very combative relationship, really, for the last couple of years. Um, you know, it sounds like it's kind of a constant struggle between the two of them for like resources and stuff like that. And you know, I think 
that if you know if I'm looking at at Mark Stoops and you know you, you get the idea that he wants to go somewhere a little bit bigger, like he must really want to say like okay I've been I'm tired of kind of doing like the fighting with a hand tied behind my back type thing like let's see what I can do let me prove myself at a you know on a bigger stage. And that's the stuff too where it's like yeah he he's tired of doing the Bill Snyder thing. <laughs> But but the difference between like a Bill Snyder and a Mark Soups is Bill Snyder was multiple times one game away from a national championship. Like that's just the, the level the level of, of degrees at that point in time. Uh, we can keep walking down the thing here. Uh, some other hilarious stuff before we get back into the uh, OU. Uh, Arkansas, new offensive coordinator. Has that been announced or was that like fully vetted? Uh, Bob Petrino going back potentially to Fayetteville. How fucking where, uh, stupid. The, the fall of his career <laughs> is now coming back. Uh, hopefully that... Uh, I can't this, remember who what that girl was. Uh, that beautiful woman. Uh, was hopefully she's no longer <laughs> in that uh, facility. This is uh, this yeah. is this is kind of the part of the SEC that I wasn't really looking forward to joining. Like just the the regurgitation and the incestuous mindset that this co- this conference has of we can do no wrong. Well, like when it succeeds, it succeeds because it's absolutely successful, not because it was successful because of you know specific factors at the time. Bobby Petrino exactly is that. Um, he's had a handful of chances to show off some offenses and all he's really done is what he had Lamar Jackson. Is that, is that like the crown jewel of his offensive coordinating or offensive prowess since? Like, he... I mean, yeah, I guess like recently, but man, like some of those early Louisville offenses he had were so good, man. Like, whew, man, he was, you know, like uh, Chris Brown, smart football. I remember talking with him about Petrino, and he's like, other coaches look at him and think like, like it's like Neo in the Matrix. Like when he's looking at a defense, you know, he just sees everything like three or four steps ahead. I mean, it's a really spread. Weird, you know. It's a yeah. it's a spread, right? Yeah. I just don't know with Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they can they can recruit, um, but unfortunately for them, Brent Venables gives a fuck about in state recruiting. So I don't know if they're going to be able to pick and choose a lot of their skill position talent out of Eastern Oklahoma as much as they've enjoyed over the last handful of years. So, I mean, Arkansas can get other players from other places in the country because they're, they've got the patch on, but um, I mean, I, I don't know. Arkansas is just kind of a, they're going to be a fun helmet school to play because they have such a loud chirpy fan base and oh, he's just going to beat the shit out of them for the most part. And so it'll just be kind of fun to like that level of game where you look at, look at them on the schedule and think, oh, you should cover, you know, th- there'll be some juice in the, in that game. You, you equate it with like a big 12 conference game with, oh, you like, Hey, oh, you should cover this. There's really, there's rarely any juice in those types of situations. So, um, you know, Arkansas will be fun, but I, I mean, I don't know. Bobby Petrino just, I, I guess I he was, yeah. I guess he wasn't calling trust plays. him. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, scene of the crime. I never get, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he was caught dead to rights in that whole thing. And he still got up there and lied about it. Like I still like that was around. I think that was around the time of the Teo stuff. Like that was such a wild period. And, and Johnny Manziel, who like, you know, they essentially made up this fortune that his family had supposedly had. Like the whole thing, man, that was a wild time in college. I miss those days, man. Like fake girlfriends, real girlfriends on motorbikes, you know. Just a 
a year or so after Cam Newton wins the Heisman. And it, back then it was just all like, his dad got all this money <laughs> to build the church. Like, yeah. And now oh. no one cares. <laughs> oh, man, That was such an awesome period. Not better than Landry. Chizik won a national championship. Gene Chizik. Yeah. yeah. And that's the interesting thing about, you know, the league Oklahoma is going into is that, uh, and as Alan has mentioned it, it's a talent acquisition league. <laughs> you get yeah. you get Cam Newton, you're going to do, a, you're, you've done most of the job. You're done. Uh, you don't have to worry about too much more after that. Uh, last thing I'll talk about before we get back into uh, Oklahoma, Colorado. Uh, uh, Shane, uh, Shane Lewis, Shane Lewis, uh, now a head coach of uh, somewhere. Uh, I can't San Diego remember. State. Yeah, San Diego State University. Somewhere University. Uh, it, I blocked it from my mind because, because, uh, cause, uh Kawhi Leonard uh, ripped my heart out of my chest. Um, but yes, you, uh, offense coordinator who was demoted uh, and like taken off the staff, uh, now immediately getting a head coaching job. Uh, t- uh, Tim Brewster uh, also resigning from uh, Colorado there. The, sh- the shine of Dion and um, maybe Brent was right. Maybe all the guy, we remember, we remember around the horn, not around the horn, uh, pardon the interruption, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Wilbon kind of going off on Brenton Venables saying everyone's afraid of Dion. Uh, they, they, they finish it with a whimper, and now the staff seems to be crumbling around him with lots of uh, decommitments as well from the recruiting side of it. Brady, does this, has this experiment, again, it's, it's just in the moment, so I want to I say I'm not overreacting there, but do we think that the Dion experiment is uh, at red alert right now as uh, Colorado is now entering into uh, a different league into the Big 12 and which one they thought would have a, a good opportunity is a league they wanted to join uh, they thought would have a good opportunity to succeed well at and, and be at the top tier I I wouldn't say so because when you hire Deion Sanders you're 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 going in on a uh, on a different path and from what I could gather I mean Colorado's AD was like all about this hire. This wasn't kind of a gimmick thing to like get some, your name in the newspapers or anything like that. Like he went all in on like, please be yourself. Um, That's at least the gist that I, that I kind of gathered, but, um, and you, you don't do that. And after one year completely reevaluate it to like, yeah, this, this isn't working. Like this is going to be a multiple year process. And that would be the case for anybody coaching, Colorado coming off of a one win season the year prior to Dion. So comes with all of that. And also, I mean, it's important to remember the PAC 12 is fucking good this year. And I know that that's, that's weird to say, cause they're rarely that good, but I mean, people hating on Colorado for not having a, a win against a team with a winning record. Well, like, I mean, Oh, he's going to probably play Arizona in the Alamo bowl in a forgettable who gives a shit bowl. And Arizona is one of, if not the hottest team in college football, so like that tier of Pac-12 team is that good, and we're we're blaming Colorado for with the talent that they have and the talent that they don't have for not winning a lot of games in that conference. So to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, their trajectory into the Big 12, I think, is pretty advantageous because that conference is going to be so wide open, so many new teams. We have no idea how they're going to match up against each other. There's going to be so many different cultures, so many different schemes and skill sets just kind of being thrown at one another we've got ideas of who we think are going to be some of the mainstay solid programs uh moving forward but colorado can just jump right in there and the factor is just because of dion dion is going he is an x factor he can attract talent out of nowhere you can't say that about 
Jeff Levy at Mississippi State. You can't say that about like any coach, any brand new coach, because they're only connected to what they're connected to. People know who Deion Sanders is, and his charisma can win over a lot of battles. So I think for Colorado, like you really need to go all in on Deion Sanders for a four or five year period to truly see if this can work. And I think that them going to the Big 12 is about the perfect environment to do that. You're not you're not in the same conference. You're not like continuously losing to, I mean, who's Colorado's Pac-12 rival? Do they have one? Yeah, they they don't have a rival school. It's not like if they're they're not going to go through four or five years of losing constantly to Nebraska and then the donors, if those exist at Colorado, get upset. Like he's in a perfect environment where you can try something for a handful of years and see if it works. So I think it behooves Colorado to do that. Noted. I think that's an interesting interesting take of it. Now I, I'm I'm taking one of pointing and laughing to a certain degree. But uh, Dion obviously will always have the uh, spotlight. I mean, he's going to be able to grab that and wrench that away from anybody. As we saw, you know, they won four games, um, which I believe, I mean, I think it makes it may have been smart football as well. Uh, was Stephen talking about uh, that teams who won one game previously, like 60% of the times one wins four games the next year or something like that. So it's like what he's done isn't, you know, result wise, isn't that, uh, odd or uh you know uh, uh that rare unique i wonder Thank you so much I, I wonder if those one win teams replaced a coat like replaced the head coach going into that mm-hmm. next season where they won like more games because i think that that's just kind of natural you you get a different yeah. mindset you get different players and you get just kind of a hungrier environment of trying to prove yourself so you're going to win a few more games the next season so i wonder if that has more to do with it rather than just let's try to throw shade at dion and look i like dion so i'll admit that i like him but he's also not beaten ou for a recruit that i wanted so uh the second that that happens he can go fuck himself but (laughs) until that time uh no i i I am just curious to see how this could work out and i just want to see it work at one school that I don't care about that can't really touch OU for a period of time before I uh, judge it, I guess. Uh, another topic to talk about, uh, and guys, full spoiler alert or lift behind the, the, the curtain there. I the, the notes I had for the show were Jeff Levy leaving, uh, what does Oklahoma need to do for uh, for uh, OC, who should they hire? So half this show is completely gone uh, <laughs> at this point in time. But the college football rankings to come out in Oklahoma was rated at number uh ranked sorry at number 12 which puts them one spot out if i'm not mistaken of the new year's six bowl because there's a g5 representative uh, at that point in time uh i believe oklahoma's probably hard capped at that point in time uh kind of like you said putting us at the uh, alamo bowl uh, uh against arizona um are we okay i mean i guess we have to be okay with it but alan do you think this team has any gripes about that i mean you've got I know a lot of people online are even non-OU fans saying like, well, the Penn State, Ole Miss, Missouri being in front of them seems kind of weird because they have no real wins that uh, kind of can, can stack up against what Oklahoma's done. Uh, but they lost two good teams. You know, they didn't lose to Kansas or to an Oklahoma State, if, you know, historically or maybe narrative wise. Uh, does this Oklahoma team or these fan or Oklahoma fans, including us, have any real gripes, in your opinion, uh, being stuck at 12? Oh man, you know, I don't think so. I mean, this stuff you can always see here what the committee's doing. Like you look at if you look at the bottom of the rankings, right? Kansas State lost last week to 
um, Iowa State and fell six spots, but they did not fall out of the top 25, right? So why is that important? OU didn't play Kansas State, but who did? Missouri. So therefore, Missouri gets to keep a top 25 win as opposed to, say, if OU, if they had moved um, SMU in, right? to the top 25, then OU picks up a top 25 win here. I mean, this is just, you know, it, you can see the rationale of the committee just doesn't value what Oklahoma's done this year, I think. Um, and, you know, so there, there's a lot of that. Now, if SMU goes out and wins uh, on Saturday against, uh, who are they playing, Tulane, then they'll have no choice. So OU will jump into the top 12 uh, by virtue of that. But, you know, I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I just – to me, no. I mean, I you know, you'd rather see OU in a more prestigious bowl, in my opinion. Um, you know, a uh, a game against you know a team like I don't know, you know, like maybe a Washington if they lose to Oregon or something like that. But I mean, I don't know. I have a hard time getting worked up about it. I I'm just really struggling with what exactly has Missouri, Penn State, and Ole Miss done. And I, Alan, I know you mentioned like, hey, Kansas State's in the top twenty-five and blah blah blah. And to me, this is this is why having a committee is so fucking stupid. We it, it's so it they can ah god damn it. It pisses me off because they have an idea of who they think is good to start the year, and then they put things in motion in, in like after the fact, but they put little landmines here and there to justify who they think is good and to hold back teams that they think are rather fraudish. And these, uh, this is, of course, their opinion. So usually, you know, a college football team will have a great day one year, then they'll have an awful day, you know, like a truly bad day. And the whole point of comparing teams is just trying to find, well, which one of those days are you closest to? Which one was more indicative of who you were? Um, or were you closer to the uh, the best performance or were you closer to the worst performance? And so for a lot of teams, it's really easy to find that because there aren't a lot of teams we're talking about on this podcast that have um, that haven't won like 11 games or 10 games or 12 games so far. So when you're comparing, you know, one loss or two loss teams, you then start to kind of find out, OK, I mean, just by looking at the top five, all the un- like you get all the undefeateds in the top four. You got Oregon at fifth. Oregon's lost to Washington, so that's a good loss. Oregon or Washington's in the top four. Ohio State they lost to Michigan. They're at six. Michigan is in the top, is number two. Texas they lost to OU. Eh, that must have been a bad day. Alabama lost to Texas, so they're right behind them. Missouri, Penn State, and Ole Miss. They've had tough schedules. They've but the reasons why that those schedules were tough. You know, like for Ole Miss, Alabama, um, did they play Georgia? Yeah, they did. Yeah. So Alabama and Georgia, what the fuck did Ole Miss do in those games? Nothing. So then they just gobbled up a bunch of wins against, I mean, did, I guess they beat Tennessee. Uh, Ole Miss beat LSU, probably. LSU doesn't play defense. I mean, that used to be kind of this thing that hovered over OU for the longest time. Well, yeah, they won, but they don't play defense, so blah, blah, blah. So, again, all this to say – it's just really annoying to see an OU team that had two bad days that were not in any way indicative of how they played all year long. And besides, SMU's playing Tulane on Saturday. If SMU wins, they're going to be an 11-win team, winning their conference and going to the New Year Six. 
And that SMU win OU has is better than anything the three teams in front of them have. Missouri beat Kansas State. Whoop the fucking do. Like, cool. Kansas State is not a team to write home about. If that is like the reasoning as to why you're like, well, this is why I think Missouri's better than OU because they beat Kansas State in Columbia. Really? Kansas State? OU beat fucking Texas. I'm sorry that that doesn't, that doesn't fit your narrative that Texas is back and that they're a playoff team. I'm sorry, but guess what? They played each other and OU beat them and they were the ones in that game who fucked around and kept it from being a rather solid, easily comfortable victory themselves where they had to correct their own mistakes in the same game. So I, I, I get it. People don't like OU because they lost seven games last year and they didn't, you know, they don't play defense and the last few games didn't really help with the box score watchers. Uh, but I mean, you're right, Alan, like the, it's a silly battle to fight, but OU's better than the Alamo bowl. They're, they're better than the Alamo bowl against an Arizona squad. That's going to be looking to capitalize off of their momentum against a, a coach whose name I can't really remember the, is it fish? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Against a coach who's probably going to be looking at that matchup going, if I beat this team, I can go head coach somewhere else pretty soon um you know penn state if they get fucking tired of franklin you know you can use that win to like catapult yourself ou is better has performed better and has had, had a too good of a season to like let that be their fucking fate and that that to me is annoying but the good thing moving forward is ou's not going to have this uphill battle anymore where we have to look at games and think we not only need to win we need to win by 30 points we're going to be in the SEC now where they're going to look at a loss and go, hmm, that was good. Losing to a 9-win Kansas team in the Big 12, you suck. Losing to a, you know, a 7-8 win Ole Miss team on the road, oh, man, that's just the SEC, but um, you know, OU's still pretty good. That's what OU has to look forward to now. So looking at the ESPN playoff picture uh, stats, which is you know somewhat based on how they try to rank these guys and looking at Dave Barto's uh, uh, Twitter feed, uh, you know, the thing that they do lean on quite a bit is game control, this this magical stat. Uh, and if you were to take the four teams that are kind of jammed in here, uh, Oklahoma has, uh, you know, is an eighth in game control, Penn State's at seventh. So you, you can say that's okay. And FIP, uh, Oklahoma's eighth, Penn State is uh, fourth. So it's like, okay. So between those four, you I could see looking statistically Penn State and Oklahoma being above Missouri and Ole Miss and then you would look at the wins and say okay well, Oklahoma beat Texas though they didn't lose to the only two teams on their on their uh, schedule with a pulse mm -hmm. so Oklahoma's shown they can beat teams which is something they've done in the past they like they sometimes don't punish you too much if you lost if you had a, a win that was against a team they thought was really really good because then it shows you have the capacity so and then Missouri and uh, uh Ole Miss their game controls are like 16th and and 10th and their uh their uh, uh resumes aren't as good the thing that really holds back oklahoma is their uh, strength of schedule is 50th everyone else's uh is 5th 27th and 29th so i'm assuming that's what's really holding them back but if you pair that of game control that shouldn't really matter uh, it just really doesn't make sense why that's happening at that point in time uh, if you're a team that really wants to have something to bitch about uh Hello, University of Texas. <laughs> uh, it, it totally sucks for you guys. I'm not a fan of you. So that's, I mean, I, it's fun to laugh at, but being capped at seven means, I mean, I don't know what you do. Uh, I mean, I guess you pray like hell Louis, uh, Louisville beats uh, uh, Florida State, but even then, I don't, I mean, 
if they if, can't get they can't if Alabama get beats if Alabama beats uh, uh, Georgia, they're out. I mean, I'm saying, no, I mean, Texas isn't making it in. There's a, there's a chance uh, all states why, somehow what, makes it. Why wouldn't Texas make it in if Bama gets in? Like, is that, is the assumption that you, Georgia also goes? In, so Georgia currently is five in game control and 59th strength of schedule, right? Michigan is 36th strength of schedule, number one strength of record, and number one game control, but they have them ranked wait, two. Wait, wait, wait. Are you going off, you're going off ESPN's numbers? My assumption, yes, off, yeah, I'm looking at ESPN off, numbers. So that oh, okay. I'm going off. I mentioned Dave, so I'm sorry. Yeah, there's okay, there's probably yeah, some differences at, there. Oh uh, yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, so I was looking at Dave and Adam McClintock's numbers. Um, so if ESPN themselves, which ESPN is the one who put these committees together, <laughs> are saying mm-hmm. statistically they think Michigan is better than Georgia, but they still have Georgia ranked higher, means they're, in my personal opinion, they're baking in a level of buffer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for that to happen. Uh, maybe it's not as vindictive, but as Alan just said, look who's at 25, <laughs> you know, Kansas yeah. state, which gives Missouri a win over them, but they didn't play Oklahoma, you know, so on and so forth from that perspective to kind of bake this stuff in. And also, Hey, if Kansas state's at number 25, then Missouri's right there. And guess who beat the shit out of Missouri just recently, Georgia. I, I, I mean, just, it, it, I just... it's all kind of like they work in saying Georgia's number one. How do we make sure that everything else falls in line from there? If Alabama beats Georgia, I guess they could fall out. But my assumption then it, Georgia would just be four. It'd be like Bama three, Georgia four, yeah. Michigan one, and then the Pac twelve yeah. winner. <laughs> I was talking with Ralph Russo actually of uh, AP about this, you know, and I I'm just not. Con- I I feel like in that scenario, I still I think Georgia would get knocked out. I think they would go with Texas. I think they should. Like they've potentially, not- yeah. I know that they've had. I know they have ranked wins, but. Again, I'm not going to write home about beating Missouri or beating Ole Miss because I think that they're okay. Um, the difference between beating those teams and an OU is just the helmet factor and the prestige factor of beating Oklahoma. So that might not be fair, but that's how college football is played. That's how college football is run. Um, they're essentially three, three of the same schools. But again, like Georgia just... I mean, th- this is their chance. This is the best team by far they're going to play. And yeah. if you lose on that big of, of a stage, you can't look at it like, well, it's just not fair because they, they're they undefeated up until this point, and then they finally get here, and then they lose, and it's just not indicative. It's like, no, 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 you can't play that fucking game here right now and not play at other places. I, To me, I just – I wish we would recognize – Michigan-Ohio State's a perfect example. I wish we would recognize, hey, it was a close game, so like it, it totally justifies how highly that these two teams are ranked. Ohio State's quarterback is terrible. Yeah. That dude sucks. Yeah. And he's State got doesn't have a quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, like, can things we get really, really interesting if uh, things get pretty interesting, in my opinion. You know, if Florida State, let's say Alabama wins and Florida State loses, I mean, like then things get kind of weird and like, okay, uh, does uh, state come in there? I mean, it's just, there, there's, there's an opportunity for this to be, I think Ari Wasserman's talked about it. This is the first time the playoff committee will actually probably have to make hard decisions. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, like, but like Georgia, for example, if they don't win, I mean, there's just no teams that are similarly positioned record wise. Yeah there's i don't think they've ever like had a case where they they included a team that didn't win its conference 
over one that did if the records are the same are and the same, so yeah. i mean like i just uh, georgia's not they have not put together i feel like the body of work that would justify um that kind of that kind of move on the part of the committee to leave out texas over them like i just i i don't see it playing out that way what was the year ohio state got in 2014 and they didn't win their conference oh uh that would have been like 2015 well there was last there was last year for ohio state oh yeah sure 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 last year they get in the COVID year. They played the national title in 2020. Did they win the Big Ten? Yeah, they won the Big Ten that year. So the Big thinking... the Big Ten changed their rules that year to allow yes. Ohio State to win. 2015 <laughs> no, is the year they lost yeah. to Penn State. Penn State won, and the lost to Michigan the... State went that year though. 2016. Yeah, we should have played Alabama in the Cotton Bowl in 2015. No, 2016 was Michigan State. 2016 oh, yeah. Penn State beat Ohio yeah, State. Right. There's so, yeah. a year. Where Ohio State did not play in the Big Ten championship and made it into the playoffs, if I remember, beyond just recently. Maybe I'm miss. Maybe I'm my brain is completely wired, uh, broken. Uh, or these top four teams just win, and you got four thirteen and zero teams, and that's wild. <laughs> yeah, very well could happen. Uh, and then I, I'm I'm kind of actually rooting for that. I'm rooting for chalk from that perspective, um, because then it would have it'd be Texas's best team since 2009 and they still can't make it to the playoffs and they still have only have one loss and it's to the uh, Oklahoma Sooners. It would <laughs> so. be an absolute honor to keep them from the uh playoff. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> Oh god, yeah. And look, it, it's not even like um it's not even like a situation where when OU lost to Texas in the last decade that might have kept OU from, you know, a higher capability in that particular season where you look back and you why did we lose to a five win Texas or why did we lose to a five win Texas team like that? That that's embarrassing. Even though it's Texas, it's embarrassing. No motherfucker. We won 10 games and we were pretty damn good. And we earned that win. So it's, they can't even look at it from that perspective. And I'm sure they're going to be like, Oh, they got lucky. They had a great day. And then they sucked it right after they played us. Like, mm, no, 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 no. That's not how it happened. All right. Let's go into uh I guess another OU topic that we have here, not beyond this. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about this, but this is something we'll be speaking about from a hypothetical sense. Uh, December 4th, the portal Stargate opens. Complete madness season starts. We already have a lot of tweets about so-and-so in 10, so-and-so in 10, so-and-so in 10 to uh, enter into the portal. Uh, like, you know, it's the RSVP, your uh, new, new college uh, destination at that point in time. But it is important for Oklahoma to be active in the portal, in my opinion. Um, do we have any like pulse uh, from ourselves of where we think Oklahoma should be shopping or what sort of wish list they should have, maybe position-wise? Uh, in my personal opinion, it's a defensive line one, two, and three. Uh, and then if you have any room somewhere else, uh, you maybe grab a wide receiver or a inside, uh, uh, inside uh, uh, offensive lineman. But to me, you're, you're looking totally and completely on the trenches. That said, we don't know where Andre Anthony, where, what his health is like, what his health is going to be like moving forward. So maybe there is a concerned effort at getting a, another wide receiver, or uh, we don't know who else is leaving. Uh, so my assumption is they're going to be looking at an H-back and a tight end as well to kind of get those rooms healthy uh, beyond just absolutely needing impact uh, or uh, you know jag plus defensive lineman on the inside there. 
Uh, Alan, if you're, you're building this roster, you've seen what's going on. Uh, what are you picking up from the grocery store as best you can? <laughs> well, I mean, this, I, I'm just, when it comes to the portal, man, you know, you're asking me about the grocery store, like, you know, those manager specials, they have like the yellow label on them. And it's like, you, a lot of times they're in the meat section and it's, you look at it and it's like, okay, this goes bad. Like tomorrow, like if I buy this, I'm eating it tonight, you know, like that's what you're getting out of the portal, man. Like, so, you know, if, if OU is able to, you know, poach, like say uh, the kid that uh, ended up going to a Hicks, right. That defensive lineman, like, that's great. And, you know, you can do that. I mean, like though, like you mentioned the trenches, that's where I'd be looking, but so is everybody else around the country. So, you know, I mean, you got to have a, a nice offer ready there. If that's, if that's what you're going to do, you know, I, I'm, I would be looking like you, like you mentioned trenches, um, uh, tight end slash H back. I'd love to see them get more involved with more of an H back type, uh, at that position. I mean, after that, like the rest of it, I, I don't know. you I'm guys are missing back. something so important. Kicker, punter, what? Kicker. Yeah, okay, yeah. We need a immediate need need assistance. Please inquire. <laughs> <laughs> that, that definitely crossed my mind. No, um, I mean, you guys said it. I mean, there's no need to kind of repeat it, but I mean, OU's going to need help. But I, I will ask you guys this question because we've really only seen what, I guess we've seen two recruiting classes potentially be developed by Brent on the field. How many of how many of the players from the 2022 recruiting class have played? I mean, I know Jaron Canick is one of the, the crown jewels of that class. I might be missing somebody completely. Um, but in two seasons, Brent has brought in like a plethora of players via the portal. And to me, it seems like he's found a bunch of players or he's at least shown the ability to have an eye for that's a guy that can come here that we can develop that can assimilate to the culture and that can make an impact. Now I know it's going to be easy to look back at the transfers from last year's six win team and think, well, how much of an impact did they really have? Um, how good were they? How bad were they? Uh, but I, I think last year had a lot, a lot more going against it than just the players on the roster. We've talked about that a zillion times, but my question mainly is just, can we, Safely assume at this point, or is it still too early, that whomever or how many players Brent decides to take in via the transfer portal, that we can safely assume that, okay, that's going to be a guy. that like These are going to be guys that can at least be rotational players that you can depend on. Well, I mean, I think in a lot of cases, you, you, when the, the good thing about the way that Venables has used the portal, portal so far is that the guys that he does bring in, he brings in with the intention of, okay, this guy is going to play. Like I have earmarked him to play for us. You know, I, I, you know, you could point, for example, like this year, I mean, how many of the, okay, I'm going to look at the 2023 group of, um, Connor near Connor near <laughs> is one. Right. And then you can He's say nearly uh, playing Sears, Sears. Is that, that's his name. Right. But yep. like, Sears might be it might be a kind of guy that they developed into a contributor in the coming season. You know what That's I mean? True. So, you know, I mean, all these guys though. I mean, they all got time. Ford technically has another season. If yeah. He wants it, right? But right. you know, he fell apart and faded as the year went on. But you know, I, I don't think he 
they maybe potentially wanted to use him as much as they did originally. So maybe yeah, you know, having Lacey, him is more Lacey has another year. Yeah. So does um so does Dejon Terry. Terry. That's gonna yeah. be an interesting one. Um Yeah, so- Terry Terry turned up midway through the year to a certain degree for a little while. So yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you know, they let's see first of all let's see what some of those guys do like i i I would assume that lacy and terry come back because they had they don't have enough on film right now to sit to feel confident they're going to get drafted and i i would think maybe they they want to go ahead and go anyway but so let's see how that how that part of it goes but you know if they can find i mean i've been the i've been pretty impressed by it i just i don't like relying on the portal that much because for the most part, you know, kind of, you know, there are a lot of, they're know, transferring the for a specials. reason. Yeah, exactly. No, that was kind of the other part of this question that I had. The next part was going to be, you know, last year, I think we were all, I mean, at least I was, I was fairly surprised and happy with the fact that Brent was able to convince guys like Woody Washington and Isaiah Co to come back. Because one of the things that, Clemson was able to do was not just have a bunch of NFL talented players, but retain a lot of them. And even like maybe not necessarily the Isaiah Simmonses of the world that they had, uh, but a lot of the guys that were really, really good college football players and might've been fringe, you know, good draft picks, you know, solid draft picks or, you know, good solid NFL players in their own right. Clemson seemed to be able to keep those players. And I was wondering if that was going to be one of the things that Brent brought over to OU because the way it was going with Lincoln Riley was if a player actually hit out of the recruiting class, they were going to be here for two, three years and then gone at the first sign of NFL money. And that's good. You know, that means you're having success on the field probably for the most part, but it's not good in retaining like a a run of, winning culture you could easily lose it at the first sign of a bad recruiting class so hopefully like the guys you mentioned to terry you know whomever else that i don't really have in my head right now but there are a handful of guys i know that have the ability to come back and so if brent's able to do that it, it makes like your it increases your margin for error in the uh, transfer portal at least because the other part of it is just going to be we don't really have a choice we don't have the luxury of time going into the sec we need david stone to be amazing we need like Jaden jackson to be a difference maker we need all these guys to be good you know relative at least starter level good day one yeah you know the the key to that i think a lot of that at clemson is I, i'm assuming the uh, the uh, boosters there made it worth the while of those guys to stick around <laughs> i know that was uh, what are you implying <laughs> IL, but you know i think you know so that's 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 a part of it though and now that's legal right you know you you throw an nil deal in front of them and say hey if you if you stay one more year you can get x right as opposed to maybe you don't get anything i don't know and you know nfl wise but so guy you know guys that i'd be looking at you know for sticking around i mean the would be you know i think uh well terry is one Lacey's one right i i think stutzman my guess is that he would be leaned towards staying uh, because, you know, I just don't feel like that position is valued, especially the way that he, you know, kind of tailed off in the second half of the year uh, makes me think that he could, he could up his stock with another year. And on top of that, man, like if he can't go in the, he can't make it in the NFL, 
I, I mean, you know, if he's if he's at OU for four years the way he is, all like I said, I mean, that's that's going to end up working out to be a nice lifestyle for him, right? Like if he comes back as a senior leader type thing. Uh, Bowman, similar thing. I kind of feel like he would benefit from another year, but I don't, you know, who knows? Um, but like you got to think, think that Boyd Washington is gone, right? Yeah, I, I assume Woody's gone. Um, I think the benefit for guys like Danny and, and Billy is just you guys can have slightly less, you can have, you know, a, a slight dip in production next year, but so many people will give a fuck more, more of a fuck about it in a good way because it's in the SEC. It's yeah, not against, I mean, it's not against the circus bullshit Big 12 where all they do is all, all anyone does is just box score watch. So like your individual performances, will be heightened next year. They will not be ignored or, well, they have, they have the 55th worst schedule. And so eh, I don't care. He Lawrence can come back. Can he? No, no, he cannot come back. I don't know. <laughs> Alan, stop this. Stop that. Yeah, let's say this is, it's the rosiest expectation we have. Uh, Sears is here. Uh, Javon Terry comes back. Lacey comes back. Ford comes back. Danny Stutzman comes back. Billy Bowman comes back in f- for some ungodly reason woody washington comes back uh the defense is in a much much better situation there and this will be the first test of um the uh soul mission which is a you know a, a direct thing from the paul uh over on clemson how clemson kept people like you said uh, uh brady and i were talking about at the top to show of like hiring these guys promoting you know promoting guys up showing the players themselves like Look what happens. People stay. They get better opportunities. They get better pay. It's you know, Brent is not only saying the idea of sustaining and being you know, loyal and true and all that type of stuff, but he's also doing that with his coaching staff as well. Uh, you know, this is this is the first like test of that. Do these guys stay? You know, one more time for Brent for a guy who didn't recruit <laughs> most of these guys at this point in time. Is he able to keep these guys around for one more year? Because if he does, you know it's going to be a, a rosier outcome for Oklahoma coming into the SEC at that point in time. Cause, but if they don't, you know, worst case scenario, you lose Billy, you lose Woody, you lose Danny. Uh, so you lose the leaders in all, all three levels of your defense. Um, and the middle of your defensive line is gone. Uh, and you're relying on Ethan Downs and PJ at uh, a to be uh, complete difference makers <laughs> on the edges uh, against SEC offensive linemen, basically by themselves. Uh, so there is a chance it all goes to, uh, it all goes to shit, <laughs> but I think there may be a better off, a better chance, seventy uh, percent chance, something to keep the majority of those guys. I think the majority of them have something still to prove. Uh, they were part of uh, Oklahoma defenses that were not good, uh, you know, recently, mm-hmm. uh, and have only been part of a good defense one time. And so that it, I think it would be beneficial for them uh, potentially to go there. Uh, if I were their financial planners. Uh, I would say you need to get to the second contract as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> so uh, I would probably say go, but I'm not. And Oklahoma is doing a pretty good job of surrounding them with former NFL players that played at Oklahoma, you know, of the sole mission and having these guys talk and people who only played for a few years uh, in the NFL. I think it's kind of important to have that so they can say, yeah, you can leave. I left too. I thought I was ready. And I, you know, didn't turn out the way I thought it did, you know, and then, they bring in the big dogs to talk about this is what happens when, you know, Trent Williams has a, you know, a 15 plus year <laughs> uh, run. It's the best offensive tackle in the NFL uh, or Lane Johnson or, you know, all the guys they have there. Um, to me, that's, that's a pretty big, uh, a pretty big test. We'll see what happens. 
with the uh, the bowl game and who's opting out, and that will kind of give us a, a good indication fairly soon, I believe, probably in the next few weeks, uh, of where this staff and where this program will be headed into the offseason. Uh, but, Alan, go, if we'll go for it. Oh, no, I was going to say, Dylan Gabriel, does he play in the bowl game? I would assume he does so as like a curtain call type thing, but I don't think it earns him anything in any way, shape, or form. But uh, I think he's a guy who plays, and he's also a guy who goes to the senior bowl. He's also a guy, I mean, I think he does it any and all things. Okay. If he doesn't, well, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, if he doesn't play, then that might. He's going to different that, <laughs> Yeah. That might tell me that, okay, he might be going it's to say Bulldog. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I hope he. Well, I hope he like doesn't. Rouse, you know, does Rouse stick around? Yeah, I, I would uh, see. Actually, who do cares? We, yeah, who do cares? we That's do we want time. Caden Green at guard, or do we want to put him back to tackle where he was recruited from? Yeah, yeah. my assumption yeah, I mean, is, is Guyton doesn't play. Then I guess no. flip a coin. Uh, on I've I've assumed. <laughs> I'm I've assumed ever since Guyton was quote unquote healthy, but did not play or start. I'm like, okay, yeah, he he done, which is fine. Which you know, fine. I'm not not insulting the guy or I'm not hating on the guy, uh, but whatever. All right. Well, thank you guys so much uh, for our very very chaotic uh, podcast. Like I said, half the podcast went down the drain 30 minutes before <laughs> we started recording. Uh, so thank you for joining us for our uh, uh, very very fun conversation. If you want to get uh, a check a little read on what uh, Alan thought of the. Uh, pre-hire thinking of the offensive coordination uh, offensive coordination of the university of oklahoma and uh, maybe kind of compare and contrast what happened versus what he thought would happen or what he thought would, would need to happen for the university of oklahoma uh come on join us at patreon.com slash through the keyhole i will have a, a podcast up on wednesday with the one and only red dirt sport uh spoiler alert I asked him very similar questions about the offensive coordinator, so uh, that's going to be somewhat there, but there's still a lot of uh, very pertinent information about where this program is headed and what needs to happen for University of Oklahoma as they enter the SEC. Um, and then also have some, I'll try to put some film review up of uh, Seth's offenses and what that means moving forward uh, this week as well. Um, even though Oklahoma's not in the Big 12 title game, I have, uh, oh man, what is his name? I have... West, uh, West Lunt Scott. and somebody else. I have Adam Lunt and West Scott. Adam Lunt, uh, West Lunt. Yep. Uh, West Scott from a, a, as well, giving us some OSU and Texas uh, thoughts about the Big 12 title game that will be published on Friday. Just a written a Q&A article. Uh, overall, just trying to have a good time over on the Patreon, even though a regular season is over and we're just transitioning into a recruiting and bowl season. But thank you guys for joining us. Uh, for myself, for Alan, for Brady, for Vanessa House, for Matt, covering the thunder for some reason. Uh, thank you guys so much and Boomer! Boomer.